We want to take a look at uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 34. So if you'd open your Bibles and uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, we want to look this evening at the death of Moses. So Deuteronomy chapter 34. Let's, uh, let's give attention to the reading of God's word, and then from there we'll pray, and then we'll hear the preaching of the word. So uh, let's give attention to God's word. Hear now the word of God, Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and he showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel." May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you feed us, for we are your children. And as a father feeds his children, so you feed us with Christ, the manna from heaven. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would fulfill the promises of your son. For you have told us through him that whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness that they will be satisfied. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would satisfy us with the righteousness of Christ as we feed upon him by faith with thanksgiving in our hearts. Uh, We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Change can be a very frightening thing. Uh, You know, you can look, for example, at what we might say would be something that would be somewhat ordinary, When a veteran quarterback, for example, is going to retire, there's all sorts of concern as to whether his replacement will be able to lead the team as successfully as the seasoned player was able to do so. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. A nation can face great trepidation, for example, with the prospects of uh, a new leader. I suspect that uh, for many people during the time of World War II, With the news of the death of Franklin Roosevelt, it was a very uh, scary time because here is a president that had served for nearly three terms, and uh, most people in the nation were quite confident with his ability to lead and to make decisions under difficult circumstances and to lead the nation even in a time of war as well as an economic depression. 
And so a lot of people undoubtedly questioned whether or not the vice president, Harry Truman, was going to be able to lead as successfully and as wisely as his predecessor. Well, I think we can say that what's going on here with the death of Moses is somewhat likened unto that great time of transition when one leader uh, passes for one reason or another and there is a new leader. It was a change that I suspect caused the Israelites uh, to let the dark clouds of doubt perhaps obscure the bright light of God's faithfulness that he had given them over the many years. It was a time of, of perhaps questions because they knew that God was going to be punishing Moses for how Moses disobeyed his command that he struck the rock when God had instructed him to only speak to the rock there at the waters of Meribah. In somewhat of an ironic kind of command, it's one that is at first, I think, difficult for us to understand, that God actually commanded Moses to go to Nebo, to go to Mount Pisgah to die. He commanded him to die. And then, of course, a new leader, Joshua, was going to take his place. Perhaps all types of questions surrounded this change, this transition, this time of uncertainty. Why was God changing leaders now at this most crucial time when the Israelites were going to be passing into the promised land? If Moses had led them for 40 years in the wilderness, he's the one who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And now, now, Lord, now you're going to change leaders? Why is it, O oh Lord, that you're punishing Moses? It seems like such a small infraction. He, he struck the rock. He didn't, he, he didn't follow your instructions. We know he didn't speak to the rock. But really, is that of such a significant consequence that Moses would be prohibited from entering the land? Why would God allow these things to happen? Why would God ordain that these things should come to pass? And so what we want to do is we want to look carefully here at this change, this time of uncertainty, this time perhaps of doubt in the life of the nation of Israel, but not only in the life of the nation of Israel, but also in the life of Moses. And we want to consider it first under the idea of God's faithfulness, both to Moses and the people. Secondly, we want to take a look more specifically at what we can call is the peculiar nature of Moses' death. And then third and finally, we want to take note of the change. And as much trepidation as there must have been about this change in leadership, that God was nevertheless faithful and was pointing forward to an even greater change in leadership that would eventually unfold in the days uh, of uh, Christ. So let's give thought first to God's faithfulness in that one of the most important things I think that we can do whenever we find ourselves facing change, facing times of doubt, facing perhaps times of trial or even perhaps persecution is we need to take a look back and take an inventory of our lives so that we can see over the course of our lives how God has been faithful to us. I think this is precisely what God does to Moses, is he takes him up to the top of the mountain, to the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, and he rehearses his faithfulness to Moses. He says in chapter 34, verse 1, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. 
He took him to the top of Mount Pisgah from which he could overlook the entirety of the promised land. You know, this we can say is at the same time a look backwards to record God's faithfulness, but at the same time it's also a look forwards. You know, it was a look forwards because God was showing Moses that I have kept my word. I have kept my promise. I have brought you to the threshold of the promised land, and now I'm poised to give you the blessings that I have promised you lo these many years. But it was also a look backward. It was a look backward in that God reminded Moses that he had been faithful to his promises. Verse 4, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. Now, I think that this is no small matter when we consider the history of God's people. The promise went back for more than 400 years, and nothing, absolutely nothing, kept God from honoring his promise to Abraham. Think of the very reason as to why uh, the descendants of Abraham went into Egypt to begin with. It was because of famine. Famine did not keep God from keeping his promises. Of course, eventually, when they were in Egypt, they became an enslaved people. And yet slavery did not keep God from keeping his promises. The power of Pharaoh and all the might of Egypt could not keep God and render his faithfulness uh, null and void. Not Pharaoh with all of his power, not Pharaoh in all of his might with all of his armies, even though he doggedly pursued them through the wilderness and even tried to pursue them through the Red Sea as God judged them. Not 40 years in the wilderness where the people at times, at least at the beginning, wondered, will God provide for us? Has he brought us out into the wilderness to put us to death because we have no food? How is it that we're supposed to survive? Perhaps it would be better for us to return to Egypt. Not famine, not slavery, not armies, not the desert. And I think God reminds Moses of this. Because at this point, Moses stands at the precipice of the discipline that he knows that he is going to receive. Verse 4, the latter half, I have let you see it with your eyes, that is the promised land, but you shall not go over there. You shall not go over there. Because Moses disobeyed the Lord's command at the waters of Meribah and he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock, he was facing God's fatherly displeasure. And Moses may have been tempted at this moment to question God's faithfulness. How could you bring me so close and yet not let me cross over? And so I think God was rehearsing his faithfulness to Moses to remind him, don't let your limited perspective on this situation, on the discipline that I am going to administer to you by keeping you from entering into the promised land, don't let this one thing bypass and somehow negate 
all of my faithfulness to you and to the people. You know, so often it's the case that we can have one small thing that within the scope of our lives is actually quite small. But yet that one thing can become so all-consuming that it can cause us to forget everything else that has gone before, everything else that God has gone before us. You know, there's, uh, I've been reading my daughter at night before she goes to bed. I've been reading her, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, we, re- we read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I mistakenly thought was the first book. It's not. It's the second. So we had to go back and read the first book, which was uh, The Magician's Nephew. So we read that one. And now we're in the third book, which is The Horse and His Boy. And my daughter says, that sounds all wrong. Shouldn't it be The Boy and His Horse? <laughs> And I said, well, let's read the story and find out. But what you could say is that here, this boy and the chief's, uh, his character, this character's name is Shasta. He has, we could say, many perils and many adventures and, and many dangerous times. Uh, and he's worried as if he's had to face all of these things alone. And at one point, he finds himself in the dark talking to the chief character, Aslan the Christ figure in the story. And he recounts to to Aslan all of the perils that he's faced alone, or so he thought. And Shasta says to, you know, or I'm sorry, Aslan says to Shasta, the boy, he says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Loon in time. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Aslan was saying, all of those times that you thought you were alone, I was right there with you, watching over you and leading you and guiding you exactly where you needed to be. I think Moses might have been thinking, Lord, where are you going? Why are you not letting me into the land? Why do I deserve this punishment? Why did you let the people go into slavery to begin with? Why did you let us wander in the wilderness all of these years? And by God reminding Moses of his faithfulness, it was his way of saying, I'm not leaving you. I'm still right here with you. You're not entering the promised land, but I'm going to give you something greater. And you don't deserve the blessings that I've given you and that I'm still giving you yet. Moreover, I've watched over all of Israel when they were enslaved. I preserved, I protected, and I delivered them. I have kept my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I preserved you in the wilderness. I fed you with manna from heaven. And now I've brought you to the threshold of the promised land. In the face of obstacles, of the challenges and the trials, we all need to stop And we need to think of all of the blessings that God has given us and he continues to give us. You know, how many temporal blessings have we had throughout our lives? How many times 
Has God provided for us when it seemed as if maybe he wouldn't? How many times did it seem that perhaps we were all alone and yet we're able to look back years later and we can see the the, the caring and loving provident hand of God watching over us and, and bringing us exactly to the point where we need to be? You know, one of the things that I try to remind myself on a regular basis, especially when things don't seem to be going well, when there's time of transition, where there's time of questions, when there's time of change, is I try to remind myself, oh Lord, help me to be humble enough to recognize that you have me exactly where you want me, right here and right now. You haven't forgotten me. You haven't let go. You haven't ignored me. You have me right where you want me. But ultimately, this is where we need to recount, more so than all of the temporal blessings in our lives, the chief and greatest blessing of all that he has given us, which is our salvation in Christ. Something that we don't deserve. Something that Moses did definitely did not deserve. For all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet... God was there not only blessing Moses and the people with all of these temporal blessings, but bringing them into his presence. In the words of John Newton's famous hymn, Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And this is exactly where the Lord was bringing Moses, which brings us to our second point, which is Moses' death. As I think we can say here that there are some interesting and perhaps even at first glance, I think, mysterious circumstances surrounding Moses' death. This is not an ordinary death. It's not ordinary. And we we know this first and foremost because in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 49 and following, Listen to what God says. He says here, go up, to this, go up this mountain of the uh, Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people. Why? Verse 51, because you broke faith with me because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. Some translations try to soften this, and they say, go up to the mountain and you will die. But there's no future. This is an imperative. He's telling him, go to the top of the mountain and die. You know, it's it's kind of like telling your child as you're disciplining them, Go up to your room and die. You know, and that's not exaggeration. That's not metaphor. You mean, yes, how is it that I'm supposed to die exactly? And yet that's what God tells Moses. Go up to the mountain and die. Moreover, notice this again back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7. This is important. We have to recognize this. Moses does not die of old age. Because that would be tempting for us to think, especially given the fact that he's 120 years old. We don't live until 120 in our day. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. This is the text's way of saying Moses did not die of old age. 
You know, it's like I, I got some new glasses. I got to get glasses. Why? My eyes are dimming. I'm dying. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I, I find myself that with certain workouts and certain things, uh, my, my vigor is, is abating. <laughs> I can't do things as vigorously as I'd like. I often tell my wife, I wish I had the discipline that I have now with the body that I had when I was 18. Oh, the things that I think I could have accomplished. It's just the two didn't converge. Moses does not die of old age. His vision was undimmed. His vigor unabated. And yet, think of it, the generation that went through the desert... For 40 years, that adult generation, they did die. And so yet here is Moses at 120 years old, strong as ever. And yet notice what it says in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. God commanded him. And he went to the top of the mountain and died in accordance with God's command. There's a sense in which we can see that what Moses has done is he has has put behind him the desire to disobey. God told him at the waters of Meribah, speak to the rock. And Moses disobeyed. This time God says, you go to the top of the mountain and you die. And so, in accordance with the word of the Lord, Moses does exactly what God says. Which, when you think of it, I think it's foreshadowing to a certain extent the obedience of Christ. The the Christ who was obedient unto the point of death, even death on the cross. Moses is obedient unto death. But yet the question still stands, how is it that Moses dies? How does he obey this command? And I think we get an answer in verse 10. It's subtle, but it's nevertheless, I think, powerful. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Do you remember how Moses asked to see the glory of God when he was atop of Mount Sinai receiving the law? And what did God tell him in Exodus 33, 20? You cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. Now, what's important is, again, read that in verse 34, verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This is different language and this is unique language and it does not appear elsewhere in Moses' interaction with God. In Exodus 33, 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He would speak to Moses plainly, but God did not unveil his face to Moses. Numbers 12, 7 and 8, so, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. The form, but not the face. Remember, Moses was able to see the hindquarters, the rear quarters of God as God hid him in the cleft of the rock. The 
fact of speaking to Moses face to face is the same type of language that God uses when he addresses Israel. Deuteronomy 5.4, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. The fire was a veil, if you will, that kept the people from beholding the very face of God. And yet, from behind the pillar of fire, this veil, he could speak to the people face to face, clearly, as clearly as I am speaking to you here this evening. He would speak to Moses, veiled, as clearly as I am speaking to you here, so much so that the scriptures characterize it as speaking to Moses mouth to mouth, speaking to him face to face. And yet that's not what Deuteronomy 34.10 says. It says that he knew Moses face to face. This is the same language of intimacy that we see used of Adam and Eve when Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son. Yes, Moses had to suffer death. Yes, he was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. But in our Heavenly Father's discipline, he loves and disciplines us as a father does his child. And he had Moses' interests at heart. He was ultimately bringing him in conformity to the image of Christ. And he said, you cannot enter the promised land. You must suffer this discipline, but I will give you something even greater. I will give you the desire of your heart, which has been your desire for these last 40 years. You asked me to see my face, and now I will let you see my face. I will let you see my face. You will not live, but you will enter the promised land, not the earthly promised land, but the heavenly promised land. You will behold my face in the face of Christ. You will see me face to face. This was the hope of all of Israel, of all godly Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Moses was obedient. He went to the top of of, of Pisgah to die in accordance with the word of the Lord. And the Lord let him die by seeing him face to face. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He beheld the face of God in Christ. When it comes to God's fatherly discipline, I think so often it's the case that we think that God's out to get us. He's out to make us miserable. He's out to ruin our lives. And the problem is, is that our desires are out of sync with God's will. Our desires are often twisted and shaped by the world, by our peers and by our own sinful desires. We're often more concerned with what our neighbors and what our friends think rather than what God thinks. And what we don't realize is that even in God's fatherly discipline, What he has in store for us is far better than anything that we could ever ask, imagine, or think. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. And this is something that we can definitely say of Moses. God indeed was punishing Moses, but Moses submitted to the will of God, and he received the blessing of salvation, seeing God 
face to face in the face of Christ. I think what's often is the case is the reason why we struggle in submitting to the will of God. As a C.S. Lewis once said, he said, is because our desires are not great enough. We set our desires upon earthly and lowly things. We set our desires upon success, upon wealth, upon the approval of our friends and neighbors, upon you know, climbing the ladder, whatever ladder it may be, society or work, or perhaps in fulfilling our own selfish desires. And he says this, it would seem, Lewis says that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What Lewis says is that we just are satisfied with inferior things when what God is holding out is he's saying here is conformity unto my very being here is conformity unto the the image of my son that is the thing upon which we should set our desires not these earthly lowly things again Lewis says do not let your happiness depend upon something you may lose Do not let your happiness depend upon something you may lose. Third and finally, things do change here in this passage. And the immediate impression that we might get is that the death of Moses sounds a somber note. And there certainly are some somber notes here in verse 8. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So we can hear the dirge. We can see the people weeping, the passing of this great leader who had led the people through thick and thin, 40 years in the wilderness, through trial and tribulation. And the people might have been tempted to think the Lord has left us. But yet there's a glimmer of hope. There's the light of God's grace in spite of the seemingly endless trek in the wilderness and Israel's stubbornness and even Moses' disobedience. We read here in verse 9, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses passed the mantle of leadership to Joshua. Now, this was not Moses simply just exercising the powers of nepotism, saying, okay, this is the one that I want to lead. Rather, God gifted Joshua with the Holy Spirit so that he could equip him for taking Israel into the promised land. God was faithful and would continue to be so. And this is especially evident in the meaning of Joshua's name. We don't maybe recognize this, but... Uh, Joshua is made up of two Hebrew words. A lot of biblical names are made, that, made up that way. My own name is short for Jonathan. And Jonathan is Yahweh gives. Or you could rearrange it and say the gift of Yahweh. I try to remind my family and wife of this. I am, your, I am a gift to you, right? Well, 
they don't always remember that. So, you know, sometimes you have to state things like that. Well, Joshua is, 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 is the combination of Jehovah or Yahweh and Shua. Uh, Yeho is the first part of God's name, so Yahweh, and Shua is the word for to save. Yahweh saves. Joshua means Yahweh saves. What God is saying by bringing Joshua front and center is that I'm faithful and I will fulfill my promises. Can you imagine if the veteran quarterback retires and the new quarterback takes the mantle? And the name of the new quarterback is, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year? Look, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year, Smith. He's dropped back into the pocket and he throws a pass. Can you imagine if we had the next president of the United States who his name from birth was the greatest president who ever lived? That's, that's the kind of message that God is sending when he says, Joshua is going to lead you. He has the anointing of the Spirit. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I've been faithful to my promises and I will be faithful yet. Here is Joshua, Yahweh saves, who will take you into the land. But I think there's even a sub subtler point here that we can't detect perhaps immediately with the name of Joshua because there's the layer of, of English translation and foreign language in our way. There's a sense in which we can kiss our bride here, but it's we're kissing our bride through a veil. And that my brother one time when he, you know, he and I both worked landscaping when we were, I was in between seminary, he was in college. And it was, it was a tough day because what would happen is you'd get up at, you know, I don't know, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, you'd get out there. And the reason you have to work so, so early in the morning and sometimes to 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night is because if rain was coming later in the week, you had to fit, you know, your work week into three days, which meant, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. And so you'd get up early in the morning, you head out, and then at the end of the day, you'd shower, come home, you know, shower, maybe get a meal and just head straight to bed because you were so wiped out. And so one of these evenings, my brother was sitting there at the dinner table eating some food late one night as he had come in from, from landscaping. And my mom sat down with him and said, so how was your day? And he says, oh, it was, it was, it was long, but it was, it was all right. She says, well, well what would you do? He said, well, just, just out there today cutting the grass with Jesus. And my mom, you know, her eyes got wide and she said, don't speak that way. That's disrespectful. And he said, mom, I'm not being disrespectful the guy's name, he's from Mexico, his name was Jesus. I was cutting the grass with Jesus. And so it strikes us a bit odd sometimes with people from Latin America, men whose name, their name is Jesus, Jesus. And we think, well, isn't that a little bit disrespectful? And yet, in our own culture, we have the same name, we just don't realize it. Anybody whose name is Joshua is Jesus. That's the Hebrew rendering of the name. Joshua is Jesus. Joshua gets translated into Greek as Jesus. So the transition from Moses to Joshua is pointing forward to someone greater. A greater Joshua. Not Joshua, the ordinary man, but Joshua, the son of God. Jesus. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Joshua Christ, Jesus Christ. 
Or Hebrews 4, 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Ultimately, what this is pointing forward to, very subtly, but nevertheless powerfully, is what we find in 2 Corinthians 1, 20, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ, in Joshua. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The transition... From Moses to Joshua was not God abandoning his people. He was still with them. He was leading them. And this transition was pointing forward to the greater transition yet. The one transition where we have the Son of God, Joshua Christ, Jesus Christ, who is our faithful leader, who is the amen to all of God's promises. Moreover, in the face of change, in the face of heartache, in the face of so many questions, we can say, I may not know what the future holds, but I do know what the past has held, and I know what the present holds, which is God has been faithful in Christ, not only to his people throughout the ages, but throughout my life and even up until the very moment. And so I have every reason to believe that no matter what I face, even if it's death itself, God is faithful in Christ. So in the face of trials, when we think things seem dark, it's not that God has forgotten us. When Moses died, God was whispering that he would keep his word and keep it he did. He sent Jesus the fulfillment of all of his covenant promises to give us salvation. And he will be faithful to his word. He will continue to watch over us all and bring us into his presence. Where one day, we too will all be able to behold God in the face of Christ. And God can say of us, I know you face to face. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, our lives sometimes bring many challenges and questions. People face surgeries and serious illnesses and even look into the face of death itself. And with such challenges that stand before us, oh Lord, Sometimes we let those clouds of doubt roll in and they obscure the light of your grace, love, and faithfulness. Oh, Father, dispel those dark clouds. Help us to remember that just because change is afoot, because we face difficulties, it does not mean that you change. As we sang earlier this evening, there is no shadow of change in you. Because great is your faithfulness. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would give unto us hope. That you would instill in our hearts and minds the memories of all of the ways that you have been faithful to your people in the past. And how you are continuing to be faithful to us even in the present. Help us to bring to mind all of those ways in which throughout the entirety of our lives you have been faithful to us. And especially how you have given us Christ, so undeservedly so. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would fill our hearts with hope and joy and even peace, even if it means that we have to look into the face of death. For we know, O oh Lord, that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we need not fear evil, for you are with us. 
For you lead and guide us with Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, he who has laid down his life for us, the sheep. And so we pray, O Lord Jesus, that you would lead us beside still waters, that you would quiet our souls, that you would prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and that you would help us to see that our cups overflow. Help us to remember, O Lord, that surely goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. And that because of Christ, we shall dwell in your house forever. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.